Hello and welcome to Free to Watch, the podcast about free to watch film and TV and sometimes podcasts in the UK on free streaming services. I'm Rachel. And I'm Sharon. And before we start on anything today, spoilers for all. Because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. there's no way we can talk about any films for over an hour without loads of spoilers. So Sharon is kicking us off today. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, the film that we mentioned last, we mentioned the films we were going to watch, so there's Crossing the Line was the first one. It's also known as Little Woods, just in case you're trying to find it and keep finding war films instead, um, <laughs> which is what kept <laughs> happening to me. <laughs> so the uh, little bit of blurb is, um, it's described as Winter's Bone meets Frozen River. Crossing the Line is a gritty thriller following two young women forced into a life of crime in order to save their family. Tessa Thompson and Lily James portray the plight two sisters face with anger, betrayal and violence at every turn as they risk everything on a drug smuggling mission to keep a roof over their heads. From the team behind Oscar women films La La Land and Call Me By Your Name, Crossing the Line is a tense and brutally fresh look at all of America's ills. So, yeah, I'm going to say I don't fully agree with that beginning bit because some of them were kind of into the drug smuggling thing before that. But anyway, anyway. Uh, yeah. I had high hopes for this. I had, I'm going to be honest, I have very high hopes for this. Wintersbourne is amazing. Frozen River is amazing. So I went in expecting something gritty and raw and tense and yeah we'll get into it as we kind of go through it okay because I loved it feeling like oh. it was gritty and raw and tense. Oh. oh are we gonna have a disagreement Sharon are we gonna have a disagreement but it took me about four hours to watch because I kept stopping to make notes and I was a little bit hungover so my state of mind when I watched it might have reflected why I was finding it so I'm looking tense. forward to talking about this so much more now. Yeah. I know we have a difference of opinion. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I will crack on. So the opening of the film, um, sorry, at Crossing Line, it's 2019. It's on Freebie. It's a 15. And I think the runtime's like one hour 40 or something. I should have written that down. But um yeah, we open on um, the border between Canada and America, it would turn out. And there's a young woman hiking around. She's burying something in the woods. She's walking along the road. She can see she's nervous as a vehicle passes her, like the border control passes her. It turns, she starts to run, and then she wakes up. And we wake up in, um, oh golly, Ollie's house, it would turn out. Ollie's house, there's a bloke at her door, it's late, and he's looking for some oxy, but she hasn't had any for months. So clearly we're in a situation where she used to deal drugs. Um, And this guy who's turned up, his name is Dale, he is in an absolute state, there's something really minging going on with his foot. Um, I was just discussing like like grey ankle, in a lot of pain. So we already are brought into this world where you know, someone's having to go to a drug dealer to get pain meds because they can't go to the hospital because they haven't got long enough to go to the hospital because their shift will start and they have to wait so long. And we already jumped straight into the problems of healthcare in America. Um, so when the blurb says discussing all of America's ills, healthcare is definitely a big one in this. It will keep coming up. 
Mm -hmm. um, Ollie unfortunately has to disappoint him. Uh, she doesn't deal drugs anymore. She got caught on the border with her mum's medication and she's only got 10 days left on her probation. So these are people in tricky situations, pain and legal problems. And yeah, you don't deal drugs for fun, do you? You do it because you need the money. So mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, this, this scene, this whole introduction, um, it does that. There's some things that instantly hit me about the cinematography mm -hmm. is that it's this blue gray color palette, yeah, to signify, you know, that tough. Um, you know, struggling to get by, difficult kind of sadness, grittiness. Mm -hmm. And it used to be something that they did in kind of the early 2000s. Like if you were anywhere warm, it'd be an orange colour palette. <laughs> anywhere like cold, they'll do this cold colour palette to kind of show how hard it was. Um, so a lot of kind of films set in Mexico used to be the orange colour palette to show like how hard it was to work and you know be in a cartel in Mexico <laughs> or Brazil or something and this is the grey depression colour palette yeah um, <laughs> it's cold it's so cold it's cold and miserable yeah um, also from this first scene it wasn't very clear if Ollie was a nurse I got that as well yeah yeah. Because she instantly starts bandaging up his foot. Mm -hmm. So I was like, was she a nurse that was dealing on the side to try and help patients? Mm -hmm. So I instantly put her in like this caregiver yeah. nurturing role. Um, so yeah, your perception of Ollie is that she is a person who cares. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, and that that was reinforced a bit later on as well. Um, but I'll come to that. Um, mm -hmm. Like when you and look I... at where she is, where she's sleeping, she's sleeping on the floor. There's like a wheelchair behind her and an oxygen machine. So you think she's in a sick person's house and you see her cooking like a big old meal. So I thought she was like a, what you call it, um, Meals on Wheels kind of gig, like a portable, portable carer. Like, yeah, I did wonder that too. And I think also Dale, when he comes around, is like, it's a shame you're not dealing anymore. You used to be so much cheaper mm. than the other dealer that's working now. Bill. And Bill. Yes, we get into Bill a little later. Mm. But it, it, in my head, I was like, so she cares she's not doing it for profit. She's trying to help people in pain. But at the same time, you're like, it's oxy. We yeah. all know there is an opioid pandemic epidemic in America because of big pharma pushing oxy as like a safe um, painkiller that you know people don't get addicted to, and it was all lies. Mm. Thousands, hundreds of thousands of people got addicted to it, and it destroyed life. So. He's like, oh, you know, you were dealing it for cheaper because you were a nice person, but it's still oxy. It's still yeah. contributing so to 
hundreds of thousands of deaths and addicts. So that wasn't quite sitting well with me from the off. Mm -hmm. It was Mm -hmm. like, you're like, how can you say you're helping people when you're just feeding their addictions? Yeah. And when he, when he talks about Bill, Bill's selling for a lot more than you did. She says that's because he's a drug dealer. So she's not identifying herself as a drug dealer. She's Mm -hmm. identifying as a, someone who's helping. A service. A service. Pro- I'm providing a service to the people. Yes, yes, yes. Um, <laughs> so she goes back to bed on the floor. Um, she's messing around on her phone. And we cut to someone else in a trailer with a very sick kid um, who's throwing up. I was eating my dinner at that point. <laughs> Great <laughs> time. Thanks, guys. Um, <laughs> um She's like looking at some notes. So she's clearly studying something. And then she looks at her phone messages that she's clearly ignoring from Ollie. Now, at this point, we don't know that Ollie is Ollie. We don't know that this is Deb. It takes ages for us to get to know their names even. They're just people. Um, I got impatient and just ended up Googling it. Because I was like, I I need to know their names for my notes, please. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because I originally thought that Ollie was a boyfriend or something, like, especially when she pulls this pregnancy test mm-hmm. out, you're like, oh, that's Ollie, but it isn't, it isn't. Yeah, um, so I was I was writing by the actors' names at the beginning, and then I got impatient and was like, I need it. So it's Tessa, <laughs> Tessa Thompson is Ollie, and Lily James is the character in the tra- trailer that is Deb. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, as I was saying, like we go back to Ollie um, sleeping on the floor. Uh, she's getting up. She's like making a big old meal. She's you can see like all the stuff in the background that makes you think she's a carer. Um, and then she's driving around. There's these massive industrial scenes, like country music. It's again that whole like rough, tough North Dakota what's going on but you don't know where they are at this point either it's that slice of america yeah america yeah yes it's that um like you know hard-working right-wing beer swilling baseball cap wearing Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. hard-working you know salt of the earth people that are often taken advantage of so yeah yeah so her job becomes a bit more apparent when um she turns up at this again wasn't really sure what it was at that point of the film it looks like a farm or something um oh i thought it was an oil rig yeah it was some kind of oil drilling station yeah um yeah which it turns out to be um she's selling coffee and things out the back she's bringing laundry to people and they're paying her cash um and then we are introduced to bill who was mentioned earlier as the actual drug dealer um Mm -hmm. you can see there's a lot of tension there between them he's just got back to town she's denying if she's dealing but he keeps pushing her to carry on again um she's just not interested he wants to pair up with the with her to sell um yeah she's not having it and we realize why because she's already said there's only 10 days left on her probation but we're next taken to her probation office and um talking to her probation officer um 
who I need to say at this point is Lance Redrick, who we've talked about before on the podcast, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, who is an amazing actor, um, amazing amounts of just gravitas. He just how commands the scene and you believe. I mean, in this case, he's like this friendly, supportive probation officer. Um, I've seen him in quite a load of other roles where he plays different characters but still manages to really bring you into a scene and I just because Lance Redrick actually passed a couple of weeks ago I just really wanted to make a point that it is another one of his films where he really stands out yeah and really gives an excellent performance and I am really sad that there will be no more Lance Redrick films so yeah very sad yeah well, I'm glad that we, we've chosen this film. Yeah. In that case. Um, so, yeah, I'd say one thing that it's annoying when you're trying to write about a film, but the way they kind of, what's that word, expose what's happening throughout, they kind of breadcrumb things. So we now find out she's living in her mother's house and her mother had passed away, which explains mm-hmm. all the wheelchair and the the oxygen machine and her kind of situation and the fact that she passed away just before they got evicted, um, which felt like a piece of good luck to her. Um, Mm -hmm. And how she hasn't seen her sister much and she's considering leaving the area. And yeah, his role as the probation officer, he is really supportive. He's very encouraging. He's yeah. And then proud that she's paid her restitution so yeah and also I like the way he's got a bit of a jokey demeanor mm. with her that comes out a bit more later in the film but it it you can sense that they have a proper relationship there's a friendship yeah. there it's yeah. not just he's the friendly probation officer they have built up trust and a rapport with each other which I really yeah enjoyed yeah and he may be the only reliable male in this film actually thinking about it Yes, definitely. Yeah, he might be mm-hmm. the only redeemable male in this film. Um, so I, he, he speaks about the restitution being paid, and I had to look up what that meant exactly because it's an American thing, I feel. Um, a fine, basically. So she's had to go to a probation officer and pay a fine for dealing drugs, which uh, you're doing it because you don't have money is technically why you're doing it normally. And it just bothers me that, yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, but this, this is an issue with America is that tr- drugs is dealt, are dealt with as a criminal issue instead of a public health issue. Mm. Um, and the countries that treat it like a public health issue where addicts get treatment to, you know, go through patrol, proper addiction specialists how to integrate back into society after that and get the support through a public health funding body are less likely to return to drugs. Mm. Um, However, America treats it as a criminal issue and then puts all the drug addicts in jail. The the jails are full of drugs anyway, Mm -hmm. and it just perpetuates the problem. Um, I mean... In Ollie's case, she's only got caught with her mum's drugs. Yeah. And therefore, it was a small amount of drugs brought in illegally for personal use. So, 
fortunately she didn't have to go to jail for yeah. that but she was fined and put on probation yeah um and yeah. whether i mean because she wasn't an addict herself could it have been treated as a public health issue probably not <coughs> yeah but at the same time it was for someone's urgent medical care because they could not afford the drugs in america which is a public health issue so absolutely yeah the the politics of the healthcare system and the criminal justice system is definitely prevalent in yeah. the film and i think there's her like within the same few breaths is talking about the fact that their situation was they were about to get evicted and mm -hmm. she so so i think poverty and being on the line is very much another theme within this film um yeah and the beautiful line from the probation officer that you feel is just foreshadowing is him saying, Ollie, you're so close. Please stay out of trouble. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So then next we've got Ollie back at the workman's lodge, um, which I'm assuming is connected to the uh, oil rig or wherever they're working. Yeah. When they, when they went into that, I was a bit confused because I was like, what is this building? Is it a rehab center? Mm. Is it like a halfway house? Is it, something for the workers i'm still not clear what that building was i mean and if you're american maybe you would have known straight away what it was but i had absolutely no clue i was assuming it was like you've traveled and you've come here and you're going to work for a couple months so this is where you live while you're working here because america's so big that you wouldn't just live down the street yeah i mean i i kind of got that vibe two by the end of it but to begin with i was really confused i wasn't sure how i should be reading the mm. scene because i was like is it a homeless center is it i just i had no idea so if there are any american listeners uh you can you can let us know on our instagram please because yeah. i have no clue <laughs> what this building is no no um <laughs> So yeah, she's back at the Workman's Lodge. We think it's Workman's Lodge. I think I've yeah. seen a sign there. Yeah. Um, and a man approaches her about crossing the border again because he's got a bad leg. Like, has she been over the border? Which has she gone to get the drugs from Canada? Mm -hmm. um, she denies it. She then runs into um, Ian, mm -hmm. um, who is the father of her sister's child. And he's asking her about de dealing. So she's clearly had a reputation in this place for being the person you could have got drugs from. Um, mm -hmm. But not for drug use, just for medical use. <laughs> yes. Because everyone's coming to her with an ailment, basically. Because she's not a dealer. She's just an uh, off-label doctor prescribing people's stuff. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Um, she, so she then gets home to a foreclosure notice on the... Um, door and gets into a a conversation with someone on the phone, which we will assume is the bank. The phrase due on sale is used. So presumably the money that she owes will be paid when they sell the house because the house is about to be um, repossessed from them. Yeah, can we... Sorry. No? The scene with Ian that we were just talking about where she meets up with Ian and he's like, are you dealing? And she's like, 
why are you telling people I'm dealing? She also kind of like spats back at him, like, you should be helping your kid and my sister. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Instead of worrying about drugs. Yeah. So you kind of get from that scene why the sister and the kid are not with him, how he's, you know, a selfish addict and he doesn't really care that much about the sister or the kid. He cares more about himself. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I do think that's pretty important moving no, forward. No, you're very right. Mm-hmm. I don't know why I've not written anything about that down. I think I probably took it for granted. <laughs> <laughs> he's going to work with Lodge and he's the father you were of the probably... kid. They're not together. So. Probably too busy figuring out what the workman's lodge was. <laughs> yeah. um, oh, so then this is when we actually kind of get told properly that Deb and Ollie are sisters, um, yeah. but Ollie is adopted. Um, they come over for dinner. The kids are. Oh, was Ollie adopted? I didn't. I didn't register yeah. that at all. Yeah. I yeah. just automatically assumed they had different dads. No, she was adopted. <laughs> I'm sure they speak about their mother and and you get this idea that this mum was a very kind, very warm person. Um, they speak about you couldn't keep her spirit down, that kind of thing that mm-hmm. they clearly miss her like she was a linchpin for the whole family. Um, yeah. And they talk a bit, um, so the sisters have a bit of a chat. And I do, one thing I really like about this film is the way that they portray the sister relationship, that it does feel very true. Like, that you can see there's a lot of love between the two of them, but then they also Mm -hmm. give each other so much shit. Like, it just felt so real and so honest. And the pair of them as actresses are just, I believed everything they were saying. I just, Tessa Thompson Mm -hmm. and Lily James, love you both. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm going to be honest that mm. these are two British actors in this American story. Yeah, and I don't know if that was one of the things I really struggled with is that this is an American story of mm. American working class people struggling and whether or not knowing for me that both main characters in this film were British if this really struggled identifying and I felt sometimes Lily James's accent was not as on point as it should have been (gasps) (laughs) do you know I didn't notice Oh, there's a few moments where I was like, I'm just not buying it. I'm yeah. really sorry. I, I just, I wasn't, yeah. it just, something about it. I don't know if it was a subconscious thing or just picking, nitpicking too much on their accents mm. stopped me from buying into it. Yeah. And I think a lot. A lot of elements to me uh, felt a bit superficial. Okay. Um, and like this, I mean, it's set in this dinner scene, it's set up like Ollie says that she's getting a job out of state mm-hmm. and she's moving away. Deb is kind of like 
you're going to get it. And Ollie's like, oh, I might not. And Deb's like, you get anything you put your mind to. You put your mind to something, you get it. Mm-hmm. So already we're framing Ollie in this determined, um, like, go-getter, assertive, very strong woman. And Ollie then says to Deb, look, you need to step up. You need to stay out of trouble. Mm-hmm. Like you need to get your shit together. So we know very early on that Deb is the one that needs that extra support, that she's a bit more fragile, struggles more, whereas Ollie has her shit together. So at the beginning, you you know the story. (laughs) Like, Ollie's strong, she's going to get through it and Deb will get through by Ollie pulling her through it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And therefore, because it was framed like this at the very beginning, any sense of peril went for me. <gasps> really? Yeah. Okay. Because <laughs> for me, it didn't. Because I knew Ollie was kick-ass and she was going to get through no matter what shit was thrown at her. <laughs> but then in my head, there was the thing of, she's got caught though like it's not flawless like yeah you can be as strong as you want but the system might get in the way i just i didn't get that and then this foreshadowing at the beginning just yeah i'm not worried about them now (laughs) see i was all the time but because of like that that screenwriting rule that like you can't you can't start a story with a goal and get it at the end. So there had to be a lesson learned or something had to be lost or do you know what I mean? Like you, mm-hmm. you can't, so we'll get to it, but yeah, I was still like, what's going to happen? When's it going to go wrong? It can't possibly all be fine. And yeah. They, there, was they one, hooked. there was one bit where I was like, is shit going to go down now? Um, yeah it was just the one bit and it's probably not the bit that you're thinking of okay (laughs) I'm gonna be honest probably not not the bit you're thinking of but there was one bit where I was like shit's gonna happen now and then it it didn't Mm -hmm. um well I look forward to finding out when that was so they have this discussion and Deb says that she's pregnant and Ian's she wants the abortion um, and that she's considering like a backstreet illegal mm. abortion because she doesn't want to have this kid. And Ollie is very determined that she's going to find a way to keep the house and enable Deb to have the kid. Yeah. N- not really listening to Deb's, you know, reasons for not wanting the child. Just like, I'll get you the house and then you can have the kid too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And they, I don't think we ever found out why Deb wasn't living in the house with the kid. Why she was living in a trailer. Well, it is implied that she used to be an addict. Mm. So whether or not she'd been thrown out the house because of her drug addiction, but then again, you know, a loving mother and supportive sister, why would yeah. you not look after the kid and throw her out until she got clean? Yeah, I don't. that was a bit muddy for me. Yeah. Yeah, and I don't know whether later they they speak a bit about um, 
you weren't there and blah, blah, blah. Maybe it was her running away, doing drugs, staying Maybe. away from the situation, couldn't deal with it. Um, yeah. Possibly. So they, the next place they find themselves is the next day in the um, bank office and they need $5,000 to pay the mortgage in a week. Yay. So we have a timeline <laughs> and a goal. Um, yeah. I think they managed to get it down to 3000 If they pay it in 3000 the rest of the money would be put into future payments. Yeah. Yeah. So they, ju- they just need 3000 in a week to keep the house. Yeah. Um, but which then they still they... need. Then they still need to find the extra money for the future payments. So yeah, I was thinking that. Yeah, you've yeah. you sorted one problem out. You still need three thousand, but then you're also going to need all that extra money in the future. And it's very short term thinking. But I yeah. suppose if you've not got anywhere to live, you kind of just need immediate solutions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um. They next go to the diner. I mean, they had a busy day. Deb works at the diner. Um, and the father of her child, Ian, is there getting slowly shit-faced. And they have a bit of an argument outside. He calls her a bad mom. She slaps him. He throws money at her. It's You immediately realize she's not going to be able to get this mortgage money, this this payment off of her deadbeat baby daddy. Um, no. Although he's thrown some cash at her, she uh, it doesn't look like it's three thousand dollars. So yeah, maybe fifty. Yeah, I mean, I had a problem with the scene because I felt Lily James. I don't know. It was just I didn't really get her anger. Oh, her frustration. It was just I felt it was a bit mechanical. This scene. Mm. Um, you know, you're so angry that you hit someone. I mean, I don't know. I just wasn't getting that energy no. from her. No, I don't know. I I got the trigger of the "you're a bad mother." Ah, yeah, but then she just stands there, like not knowing what to do afterwards, and I was like, true. Yeah. I was just like, you know, why are you not screaming at him? Why are you not, you know, throwing stuff at him more? I don't know. She just kind of stood looking mildly pissed off, not doing anything as Ollie then comes out going, take the money. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't know. I think... For me personally, I think Lily James was the weak link in this, which is frustrating because I really like her and other stuff that she's been in. Yeah. But in this, I just didn't didn't really get the recovering drug addict, struggling mother vibe. I got pretty pretty girl who looks like a big sister to the son rather than a <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> like there was just something that didn't really. <sighs> I just I didn't get that struggling with the no. vibe. I got pissed off teenager a lot. Okay, who didn't really know how to express adult emotions. <laughs> okay, <laughs> which sounds really brutal, but I just 
she didn't have that depth or like that physical physicality to her performance mm-hmm. that I expect in a film like this. And if like if we're going on on the blurb where it likens it to Winter's Bone or Frozen River, Jennifer Lawrence in Winter's Bone. You can see how tense she is all the time. You can see that tension in her body as she's put in these difficult situations and she doesn't know how to handle it. You can see it in her eyes and her facial expressions. And Lily James is just a bit of a wet blanket. Okay. For me, personally. Yeah. Yeah. I just got kind of... How do I put it? Yeah, ex-American beauty queen style. Uh, I got a kid and then I did some drugs. I, I don't know. I felt like the weakness she was portraying said a lot about her character. That she wasn't really fighting that hard. But yeah, yeah. I see what you mean. I absolutely see what you mean. Just I don't know. For a good performance for me, I want to feel that the actor is completely embodying mm-hmm. that role. Mm-hmm. No, and I just don't like. I don't know. There was just something off. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, she's meant to be this weak one that struggles and kind of needs a bit of help and support, and I suppose a bit of saving. But, you know, if you're faced with your baby daddy telling you you're a shit mother, you don't just slap them and stand there looking confused. Mm. Like, you would be raging. Yeah. And yeah, maybe this be. is a... This is maybe this is the director. This is maybe this has nothing to do with Lily James, and this is how the director wanted it to play out. Mm-hmm. But you know, even people who are not physically strong or you know a bit emotionally vulnerable, they have their snapping points. Yeah. And I don't think Deb's character, I saw her snap. I never saw her really hit bottom and struggle. It's like she's just coasting through it. Yeah. Actually, that that was probably the biggest emotional scene she has. She slaps him and then she cries a bit. And then she gets shoved inside. I didn't... While Ollie picks up the money. I didn't really feel any trauma from that. Mm. It was just... Mm. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it was the director's choice, but just it—it it just felt like a weak scene that could have been more. Mm-hmm. You could yeah. have seen more frustration or desperation or disappointment or heartache or anything, and it was just a bit flat. <coughs> Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. Next, we move on to um, she gets back to a trailer. Deb gets back to a trailer, and there's a notice on it that you know her her trailer is parked illegally and it has to be moved or it will be towed. She just scrumples mm-hmm. it up, throws it away. Um, then we jump to 
yeah. <laughs> it's a petulant teenager, like, oh, if I crumple it up, it doesn't exist. Because I'm a and I don't need to deal with it. Mm. Um, sorry. No, 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 no. It's very true. Um, and then, and I got a bit confused by that, actually, as well, because of the way she walked towards the trailer. I thought it was like a car that had the notice on it, not the trailer. Yeah, me too. Yeah, there was something about her direction that mm-hmm. it didn't fully make sense, but you kind of assumed that must have been what it was. Um, mm-hmm. But it was only a very brief scene. Um, we're once again taken back to the Workman's Lodge, um, where Ollie is um, sees... Oh, crumbs. Is it Dale? Or Ian? No, it's Bill. It's Dale. She sees Bill or Dale or... Who's Dale? Why do I have Dale written down here? Oh, I have Bill. Wasn't it... Wasn't it Ian? She sees it Ian. Ian. She must yes. see Ian. I don't know why. It's these, down, these, these North Dakota men look the same. I can't. <laughs> Beardy, sweaty, grimy. Yeah, they all do pretty much look the same. Um, yeah, she sees Ian and starts talking about dealing again because she needs to do it for Deb because clearly Deb can't look after herself. Um, and Ian can't look after her either. No, no. So mm-hmm. Ollie's got to do it all. Um, and then we cut to her digging up a bag in the woods, a bag full of drugs. Mm-hmm. From the dream. Oh. At the beginning. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then um, we jump to uh, Deb going to the clinic, the medical clinic, going to see the doctor. It's going to be four to six weeks to see a doctor. And it's going to cost her, drum roll, $8,000 to have a baby. And that's if it's not a cesarean, it's going to be 12,000 if it has complications yeah. and the cesarean is required. Yeah. Um, and at this point, the woman behind the counter, the receptionist, kind of says, well, why don't you just have the baby at home, dear? Like, I don't understand what they mean by that completely. Like, what, you just let your family, like, take the birth or you expect your family's going to pay for it? Or I wasn't entirely sure what that meant. <sighs> I, I mean, part of me was, because it was like, if you go live with your family to do it, part of me was like, is she implying that she could move in with a family member and then get health insurance through that family member? It wasn't no really clear as an outsider to the American system. Mm. I thought it was, if you go live with a family member, maybe you can get on their health insurance. Was the Yeah. yeah. I don't know why my brain went straight to just have the baby at home. But, I mean, you're in a clinic, aren't you? So people have babies all the time. And not Mm -hmm. everyone's, well, how many people actually just have eight grand to chuck at medical care? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I just found that a bit shocking. Um, It was. And when when the woman tells her this, she kind of just looks sad and then takes a pamphlet and... That's the whole scene. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's not like, is there any financial help, financial aid? Is there anything offered by the state? She doesn't ask any questions. She doesn't. She just kind of mopes out of there with a pamphlet. Yeah. And, 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 and yeah. Maybe, I mean, maybe this is a script. Well, this is obviously a script writing issue, but I was just like, if you'd just been told some shitty news, normally you argue with it a little bit. They do discuss it a bit later. Because um, mm. she does ask what her options, what her other options are, and they don't really talk about it very much, but it is mentioned later. So it may have been that that was cut 
Oh, maybe. Yeah, or it was saved for later. Um, so while while Deb's finding out that it's super expensive to have a baby, um, Ollie is unpacking her big old bag of drugs, um, Oxy and all friends of Oxy, and popping it into more portable little pots. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's you can see that she's struggling with this. Like, she's kind of doing it, but she doesn't want to, but she's doing it because she feels she has to. Like, I could feel that through the scene. I don't know if you did. Mm-hmm. But um, I definitely got that vibe that she was reluctantly returning to um, cheap medical assistance for people who need it. Well, this is the thing. She she has her out, doesn't she? Her probation's coming to an end. She started applying for, you know, better jobs that will benefit her. She she is not only physically but mentally checked out of this dealing mm. life. Mm-hmm. Sorry, healthcare, alternative <laughs> healthcare provider <laughs> life. She doesn't want to do it anymore. She's had enough of struggling and yeah. having to deal with all these shitty people like Ian and Dill and Bill. And she she doesn't want to deal with all this shit anymore. Mm-hmm. She's had enough of being strong for all these other people. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, the burden of caring for her mum for such a long period of time while trying to, like, make ends meet for money and deal with all these addicts and bullies. Like, it's taken its toll. And she's she's been mentally checked out. She's, she's in her mind, like almost at the end of kind of this suffering and struggling. Mm. And now she's forced back into it. Yeah. And um, I do feel Tessa Thompson does a very good job of, like, showing the frustration on her face. Yeah, absolutely. And in her body language. And you can see when she tenses up in a scene, like, her frustration or, like, just, you know she's prepared for violence or something volatile to happen. You can see that in her physical performance. Yeah. And it kind of, kind of reminded me, Tessa Thompson's performance as Ollie kind of reminded me a bit of like Westerns, you know, the, the quiet, silent, tough guy. Yeah. Um, And she seems to have some kind of element about that to her. Like that, that quiet resilience, that quiet resolve. Um, I like, I thought she did very well on it. Mm. Um, Because I never doubted her kind of strength in this film and her determination. And I mean, as I just said, resilience, I never doubted that. No, she consistently demonstrates it through the film. Yeah. Even in some quite shitty situations, she is confident in her own abilities to get through them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. She always has a plan B. She does. (laughs) (laughs) Good way to live. Mm -hmm. Um, So then we kind of have a bit of a montage of her selling uh, drugs mm-hmm. to various people so Ian has um, made some connections He he's told her where she can go where she can sell stuff um, 
she and then you get like an idea of like the seediness of of actually selling these drugs in North Dakota like the truck stop scene is creepy as heck um just the darkness and her peeking up over door over like the window of trucks and people following her around the truck stop and just that darkness and that a vulnerability of the job and yeah but as soon as she got spooked she was out there she was off yeah there wasn't like oh i'll wait and see who it is or anything she she was not going to put herself in a situation where she felt vulnerable anything spooked her she was just gone yeah um and when she's selling in that truck and someone starts yelling at her and she's just like speeding off and then we discover it's just this a friendly nice security guard who's like are you selling can i get some yeah and yeah. she's like you can see the relief in her body is it's like her fight or flight like relaxed yeah and she's like yeah this is how much i'm selling for yeah yeah mm-hmm. it is uh... It, yeah, I still, I just found it like, like trying to put yourself in that situation. How incredibly yeah. creepy and weird that, that such for a woman as well. Like, I mean, it's not nice for anyone, but yeah. That it's that extra layer of vulnerability. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. So next we're at the, I mean, she gets out of that fine, sells a lot mm-hmm. of drugs. And um. then we're at the probation office. Again, it's her last check-in. And you can see that she's nervous. She's got a job interview. And Carter, the name of that character, um, mm-hmm. is trying to help her relax. And that's when we get a deeper insight into, like, the humor and their relationship and how supportive he's really been. And you you kind of feel sorry for him, like, that she's she's not doing it. She's told. But it's, I mean, it's, 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 I must admit, it was so cute in this thing. She's like, am I, am I wearing the right clothes? Is this appropriate? And he's like... Well, you know, I would have worn a shirt instead of the vest. And she get you can see her get a bit upset. And he's like, it's fine. I'm just winding you up. I'm just like yeah. joking around. You look good. And I yeah. thought that was really cute. Yeah, no, it was dead sweet. Mm-hmm. Um, so then she goes to um, the diner to meet this woman who's interviewing her for the job. In, is it Saratoga? I want to say Saratoga. I think so too. Saratoga. I haven't written it down, but that rings a bell. Yeah, um, and she's nervous and stuff, but it's going okay. And then Bill comes in, and I thought it was so slick the way that she like timed getting up just in time to walk in front of him and casually end up in the bathroom with him. That it looked completely unsuspicious, and it mm-hmm. was just a nice little move. Um, but yeah, he's found out that she's de- he's, that she's dealing, so he like threatens her in the bathroom. Either she has to give him 30% of whatever she's making or she has to go across the border for him and do a job. Mm -hmm. I don't really fully understand how he'd know what 30% of what she's selling would be. I mean, is there a ledger involved? Is there, yeah, who's who's checking this? There's no accountant, but. I know. And also this scene, although Bill is threatening her and he throws her up against the wall, against the neck and stuff, I still feel felt like Ollie had control of the situation. Mm. Excuse me. Um, she, but as you said, as soon as she saw him walk through the door, she was up because she yeah. knew he was coming for her. Yeah. She put 
like put them in the bathroom together. She she looked pissed off that he was asking her for a cut. However, she didn't look afraid at any point. It was just like she knew this was the cost of doing business and she knew if he found out this was going to be the situation and she was prepared for it. See, I had I had a sense of fear from her that that you knew that she was having an interview at that point. That was her ticket out of there and he could have just taken that away from her. Do you I mean, know what if, I mean? If I saw any fear, I think it was just the amount of money he wanted and she was worried about the house. Okay. So I felt like I got this vibe that she had control over that situation. Mm. Like she knew it was coming. Yes, it was a bad time, but she still kind of navigated the terms on where this situation was going to go down. Yeah. And she's, and also like, it was like she knew he was going to get a bit aggressive with her, but she knew how far it was going to go mm-hmm. because he wanted the money. True. True. Like, she knew she wasn't at, in... A, like, the situation wasn't hugely riskful because he wanted the money. And she'd managed to get it away from the prying eyes of the interviewer. Yeah. Was it bad timing? Yes. But I don't... I wasn't really getting vibe like scared vibes from her it's more just like fuck she knew she was in a position where she couldn't say no mm, yeah 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 and she does repeat numerous times in this scene that she is not crossing the border again she is not doing border runs yeah mm-hmm. mm. <laughs> yeah i gotta do it um so she returns to uh the interview um a little bit flustered, but fine. Fine. Um, There's also a bit in this scene that I found interesting is when her and the interviewer sat down at the diner. Oh yeah. They're they're in this really shitty diner. It's like basically made from like MDF and plywood. Yeah. Everything it it looks like it was built by some teenagers who, you know, builds their personal skate parts or something out of crappy bits of wood that they find. It's really run down. It's really battered. Like, it is not a nice place. Mm. And her and the interviewer sit down and look at the menu and Ollie apologises because it's so expensive. Yeah. And this, basically, since they found oil there, all the prices have gone up in the area and how everything, the cost of living now is so expensive including this crappy diner yeah mm-hmm. yeah the toilet was also pretty fucking minging oh that was disgusting yeah 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 mm-hmm. yeah and that's why she's panhandling basically that's why she can make mm-hmm. a living selling coffee to the workman cheaper than the cafe does it or the diner does it yeah. yeah, and I was because when they went in, I was like, "This is a bad place to have an interview." But they're nowhere nicer. And then it was like, "Oh, <laughs> like there's not," <laughs> and it's still gonna cost you a fortune just to have like a cup of coffee and maybe yeah. like a bit of breakfast. Yeah. Um. So yeah, it, it does explain since they found oil there, all the rich people have moved in the big corporations have moved in and it's 
driven the price of everything up just for the normal people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we um, then she's at the house. She's doing her like distributing pills into smaller pill boxes, counting some cash. When a car pulls up and she suddenly panics, she's throwing all this cash and pills into a shoebox type of thing, throws it into a cupboard, and it's Carter, the parole officer, doing a house check. Good timing. Um, and he is literally going through the house, looking in rooms. She distracts him before he gets to the cabinet that she's just throwing everything in. Um, and just to kind of make her feel worse about what she's doing he's talking about how proud she is he is of her and how Mm -hmm. well she seems to be doing and you just feel sorry for him like he's a household or something like of a probation officer that yeah she's oh how he spoke to the interviewer and said it went she said it went well and how she's gonna call in a couple of days and he's so lovely yeah yeah Mm -hmm. yeah and then as he leaves, she opens the cabinet and all the drugs fall out. Like it, it kind of, again, to me, there was tension there that had she not distracted him, she could have just lost everything so quickly mm-hmm. while she's chasing this, trying to get out of the situation, trying to help her sister, trying to get herself out of this town. Um, yep. Yeah, I mean, there is tension there, but the way she has command over her emotions. Mm. And the way she has command over her nerves in that scene kind of minimises that risk factor for me. Yeah. Yeah, she is very cool. She is. I mean, she really does have her shit together. Yeah. Yeah. She is the exact opposite of her sister who is, you know, Blubbing and like Ollie knows how she needs to hold it together in these risky situations, and um, it's a very controlled performance. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I suppose this is why I don't didn't worry about it because of that foreshadowing at the beginning. Yeah, and how. Her, how her mannerisms just kind of like have this confidence and assertiveness about them. I was like, oh well, he's gonna leave and it'll be fine. <laughs> and yeah, he could have opened that door and it could have fallen to bits, but I was like, that's not gonna happen. That's not Ollie's story. No, no, no. And uh, to be honest, like when, when she puts it in the cupboard, it's like, oh, it's fine. He's only c- taking a quick peek in rooms. If he opens that cabinet, mm-hmm. it's fine. Like, it'll just be a box on a shelf. He's not going to go through mm-hmm. stuff. So, yeah, that did feel a bit... Mm. Mm-hmm. So then she does the super clever thing of taking this box of cash and drugs to Deb's trailer, which I immediately thought, like, you've got a kid there who's probably yeah. curious. You're in a trailer, which isn't the most secure place to keep stuff. You've already just gotten away with it. Just find a better hiding place in the house. Don't put it in the fucking trailer. I don't know. But, um, mm-hmm. yeah, and that's kind of, this is this is the part where it's re- revealed through a discussion between um, Ollie and Deb 
uh, about why she was crossing the border in the first place, why she was getting the meds for getting the meds for her mom, getting the abortion pills for another friend, getting painkillers for someone else. Mm-hmm. And again, they talk about um, Deb having an abortion. And I did like this line, but I'm not sure why. Your choices are only as good as your options are. I've written down the exact same line, Sharon. (laughs) I've written down the exact same line. I like this. Because when Ollie turns up with the drugs, Deb is like, you're dealing again. And Ollie is like, you knew what I was doing. Like, there was no other way that I could be getting this many. Like, why is it such a shock? As you pointed out, she's now put all these drugs in a small trailer with a child and an ex-addict. An ex-addict. So, like, so when she said the line, your choices are only as good as your options are, I was like, well, your options are shit, aren't they? You're putting all these, <laughs> these drugs and money in an ex-addict's trailer with a small child. Like, yeah. 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 It, yeah. But at this point, she only has four days left on her parole, and she can't take the risk if he, if yeah. uh, Carter comes back to her house. So I kind yeah. of understand that too. Yeah. The only thing about this is, even if it was after a parole, would she not still get in trouble for having all that drugs and cash? Like, yeah. So I, the more I was thinking about these days, like, yes, it gives you that kind of tension and that that deadline that we're working to this date this date is the final date of something but actually is it because she'd still get in trouble despite yeah but she get in less is, trouble but she probably wouldn't go to prison but once her parole is done she can't get spot checked anymore okay the probation yep. officer can't just do a check in at her house and go through her rooms and stuff yeah okay point um yeah. so i think that was the risk after carter you know, doing his spot check. And he's like, oh, I've not done one of these in a while. She's like, what happens if he comes back in the next four days and does another one? Yeah. Yeah, true. Mm. Yeah. I suppose she doesn't want to take that risk. Um, so then Deb, uh, in the next next little scene, she goes to the local strip club to talk to a dancer about who she can see about getting an abortion because she knows that that woman uh, there has had one before. They also reveal that she used to work there. Um, yeah, you just get a really a little glimpse into a seedy, seedy fucking part mm-hmm. of the town. Um, I, I did think this scene was a bit brutal because the stripper is just will not tell her who she got an abortion from unless Deb gives her some kind of financial restitution for the information and I'm yeah. just like she takes her what, earrings what the fuck like yeah. it's in our sisterhood you no. know like and this was the part before this I wasn't sure where this whole f- film was set and it's not until that stripper starts talking with that North Dakota accent that the other accents became so apparently not North Dakota for me mm-hmm. because I hadn't really placed it I was just like oh middle America whatever Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until she started talking that I was like, oh, okay. I mean, the start of the film, because it was a border, I was like, is this somewhere on the Mexican border? Yeah. And then I was like, but blue color palettes. Yeah. Everything's cold. You know, everything's yeah. cold. 
I was like, it's got to be the north somewhere. So it's got to be the Canadian border. But it's never really explained until later on that it is the Canadian border. And perhaps that imagery at the beginning of the film, that that like gap in the forest or whatever, is an obvious thing for an American audience, but it's not for a British Maybe. audience. But then again, like, even when you know it's, like, I mean, obviously you know it's North Dakota at this point before they really start talking about Canada. Mm. But, like, for all we knew it could be like the Alaskan Canadian border coming from oh, the I north am. into Canada, not sorry, yeah, coming from the north to south into Canada instead of south to north. Like mm-hmm. it does hmm. Yeah. And I think any drugs film in general, you think Mexican border. And then you said the oil rig drilling. And I was like, is this the Mexican border? And they've gone with the blue colour palette. Yeah, and it's like, but they're all they're all wearing crazy amounts of layers, and it is obviously cool, so it can't. So yeah, I was really disoriented mm-hmm. with it for a while, mm-hmm. and for a I bit mean, I stopped caring. But I was also like, no, I want to know where this is. Like, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, maybe this was a conscious effort to make. Make people realize that this happens in the north and the Canadian border too and they didn't really want to emphasize what state it was but it, it was very disorient disorientating for a non-american viewer mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. at one point i did think are they in alaska yeah mm, yeah, yeah. It was a bit muddled yeah um so then yeah deb gets this did she even get she got a number or something she got an address mm-hmm. um and then ollie in the meantime or the next day goes to a rodeo to sell more of the drugs and stuff and i just thought this was quite a funny scene um like how how violent rodeo is like why are you doing this like just getting <sighs> flung about on a horse but the best part was watching a guy practice the thrusting by himself in part of the the rodeo pen or something. There's just a man just like having a little thrust and a little grind to himself, practicing being on a horse before he gets thrown the heck about. It was really just strange well, to watch. I mean, it is strange to watch. I mean, a few last year sometime, I mean, not afraid to watch streaming website, but on Netflix there is a documentary about rodeo riders mm-hmm. and I've watched it all and like honestly the the way they destroy their bodies so when ian says to ollie go to the rodeo the rodeo guys always buy i was like that doesn't surprise me because they absolutely destroy their bodies doing this horrible barbaric sport yeah and um also interesting fact i learned from the rodeo documentary is that the breeders of the bulls get financially rewarded for having the best bulls the bulls are in different um categories of kind of like aggressiveness Mm. and like for the big um big competition tournaments they get paid shit tons for having like the best most aggressive bull so 
Okay. Interesting Rodeo fact for you there. Yeah. I mean, probably really obvious if you're in America and are into Rodeo, but as an outsider, yeah, just being nosy watching a documentary, I was like, this is fascinating. Yeah. I mean, these guys um, were on horses, though, weren't they? I thought. Were they on horses? I, can't... I thought they were on horses. Probably a mix of the two. Yeah. Yeah. Because I just recall like one guy riding out on a horse and the horse looking super calm and wondering what the heck they do to the horse to piss it off so much. But yeah. Oh, they might yeah. have just been having lassoing with the horse, <laughs> being on the horse and lassoing things. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, she does she does some good business at the rodeo. Um, she gives Bill his money and he once again offers her money to cross the border. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, at this point, I'm still writing Mexico trip because they've still not explicitly said it's Canada. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then she gets her mum's ashes in a wooden box. And mm. you get this feeling that that was a point for her where she could move on a bit because you see her moving her bedding back into what we assume is her bedroom. Yeah, it's like some kind of acceptance that the mother is gone yeah. and you know, her having to move on with her life. Yeah. Um, and in the meantime, Deb has gone to see Ian. Um, there's clearly still something between them. And she tells it is such a weird scene. So in a way, this might be why when she had that fight with him earlier, that it didn't get so violent, that it didn't get so, because there is that forestanding relationship between the two of them or ongoing terrible relationship she says she wants to get rid of the baby and he just loses his mind um he'll buy clothes he'll buy food he'll marry her um but she can't depend on him and it's quite sad really just seeing him kind of break and realize what she can't depend on him so mm-hmm. and he knows it and uh- yeah. yeah, and he, he's just like, will you sit next to me and hold my hand? Yeah. And it felt very, like, teenage like, neither of them really know how to express their emotions or their needs or, mm. you know, deal with this adult decision. And she's yeah. going, I'm having this abortion. He's, like, raging against it. And then it's kind of like, let's just sit here and hold her yeah um yeah it was quite sad really and when when she goes into the room he's like can i offer you anything can i get you anything like and she's just like smiling and kind of giggling and then it's like serious conversation a bit of a bit of sadness and then it's like sit here and hold hands so it's like yeah "Mm." yeah yeah we then uh get to the car park and the car park doesn't have a trailer in it anymore oh Mm. so her trailer with everything in it including the drugs and the money has been towed um so she goes to ollie's house tells her what's happened and they have a absolute massive fight um because it turns out that she just kind of moved into this trailer when the previous owner left it. So it's not as if it's even her trailer. There is no way they can get it back, basically. She's lost everything. Um, mm-hmm. Ollie then goes out drinking because uh, she's just had enough, I guess. She needs to let some steam out. 
Well, I, I kind of written that Ollie just kind of crumbles at this point. And this is the bit where I got the tension and I was genuinely worried for them. Yeah. Because Ollie is just so tired of fixing everything all the time and having to be the responsible adult and have her shit together and she loses it at this point. Mm. <coughs> Sorry. Um, she just can't even comprehend. There is no plan B anymore. Yeah. All she can do is get drunk. And this is when I thought it was going to fall to bits. Yeah. Because Ollie crumbled. And I was like, you know, that that linchpin is gone. Mm-hmm. And this is when I thought it was going to go off the rails and really put them in some very vulnerable and difficult situations. Um, So when Ollie just starts getting drunk, I'm like, oh, fuck. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had that same fear. Like, she goes into a bar, she punches a guy, she gets thrown out, she gets into the car and starts driving. Super wasted. And I'm just like, ah, don't drink, drive, don't drink, drive. So you immediately think she's going to get caught. She's going to get arrested. That's it. Like, mm-hmm. th- there was that tension there, like that. Oh, she's going to end gonna up in it? hospital. Like, yeah. 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 But no. No, it's fine. She, uh, um, oh, she tries to break into the trailer where, where the trailer's been towed to. She breaks in. Mm-hmm. She gets over. She gets into the trailer. She finds the bag. The bag is empty. So her drunken attempt at finding anything again isn't isn't mm-hmm. positive or fruitful. I've forgotten the word. Um, and and then, then she like wakes up in a truck in a field, and I'm yeah. like, "What the fuck has happened? What the fuck has happened? Something bad's happened." And then it just zooms out, and she's just driven into a field, like a couple of hundred yards away from her own front door, and it's perfectly fine. And I was yeah. like, oh. oh. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, I'm not really that worried anymore. <laughs> yeah. So then she wanders into the front, into the kitchen where Deb is sat there drinking as well. Uh, mm-hmm. And they decide, she tells her she's decided she is going to go to Canada. She is going to cross the border. And she's also going to help her get um, over there to go see a doctor about getting an abortion yeah because this is the bit when deb kind of breaks down and explains like i have been looking at my options i have been trying to be responsible but this is what i've been told by the clinical clinic and this is how much money i need yeah and i it it's just not possible yeah yeah and this Mm -hmm. yeah where she says about she could go get an abortion somewhere else but it's hundreds and hundreds of miles away Mm -hmm. so there may have been that follow-up conversation we just and this is apparent. this scene here is the first mention of Canada, and she goes, "I understand why people go to Canada, yeah, for for healthcare, yeah." And I'm like, "Oh, it definitely is. <laughs> we are definitely on the Canadian border, then, yeah. not just a cold spell on the Mexican." <laughs> no, no. <laughs> like, <laughs> you yeah. know, um, and by this point, we're like. We're pretty close to the end of the film, and they finally said Canada, and I was like, "Sorry, yeah, I I did think um, that. Like, it's it's taken that long to get to this point. I was like, there is still so much they need to do. How are we this close to the end of the film? Mm-hmm. It, mm, mm, mm. 
don't know why it was such a secret. Like... No, and again, I wonder if that scene in the beginning is such an iconic thing to an American audience. That we missed but, it. Yeah. I mean, even on the Wikipedia plot, like the first line of the plot is Ollie is on probation after being caught illegally cross- crossing the border between North Dakota and Canada. And yeah. I must admit, like, I think the Mexican border, whenever I think of the Mexican border, I think of like big walls and fences and people having to tun- tunnel underneath or, you Across know, the cut ground through or whatever, yeah. Barbed wire and stuff. And the Canadian, I did think the Canadian, it was probably the Canadian border because it was just like, you know, a break in the tree line with some posts in the middle of it. Um, I do know that there are some towns on the Canadian border where half the town is in Canada and half is in America. So, mm. like, I did think maybe this is Canadian border because they're not that bothered about the friendly Canadians. Whereas mm. if it was the Mexican border, it was would be a lot more aggressive. Yeah, true. So... I mean, maybe it was obvious and I was just being a bit dense. But I was frustrated that it wasn't made clear at the beginning. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So then, I feel like we've been talking about this one for ages. (laughs) I mean, for an hour 40 minutes, I mean, a lot does happen. Mm. I think think we were invested in the system journey which is why we have yeah. so many notes yeah yeah mm-hmm. um so then ollie goes to billy um negotiates three grand to go across the border he's ready mm-hmm. he gives her a bag um a full of we don't know what and a list oh, of yeah. uh what they need uh, what he needs and half of the cash um she also needs to get deb an id to be able to get um, Canadian healthcare, um, mm-hmm. which then, again, another weird, creepy situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, Deb goes to this shack somewhere, um, gives the guy an amount of money that was previously agreed on the phone, and then this bloke kind of creeps up behind. They're both drinking beer. They both look redneck as heck. Um, mm-hmm. And it just all gets a bit weird. Um she gets freaked out by the situation because one of the guys is really kind of threatening and you can see he's, uh, yeah, going to assault her potentially. Yeah, I mean, he is a creepy creepster. Yeah. Of yeah. the worst kind. However, yeah. this this scene is intercut with Ollie yeah. at, at the van, you know, a couple of yards away from the house, speaking to a police officer. So in my head, I'm like, well, all she needs to do is leave the house and there's a police officer there and they can do fuck all. Mm-hmm. They can't really, like, run after her or anything in front of the police officer. So because it was in cut, I was like, well, she just needs to get out of the house and she'll be safe. Yeah. Yeah. So it took a, a bit of the tension away from me. For me. Mm. I suppose there's, she doesn't know that that's going on and she could still be yeah. attacked in that house mm-hmm. was what I was thinking and then that worry that Ollie was going to get arrested for no reason as a woman of colour in that situation yeah um, yeah I, I do see your point 
But there was that nick of time thing again, like everything was fine. She got out of the house, she grabbed a handful of IDs by just making a clever diversion. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Um, and everything yeah. worked out. Everything again. worked out fine. Um, so then they start driving uh, towards the border, we assume. Ollie switches the headlights off, they jump out the car um, and they walk. And it's a long walk. She's got a compass. They've got the kid with them as well, which. Mm-hmm. I found a bit odd, but I guess where else are they gonna? What else are they gonna do with a kid? You know. True. Yeah. Um, and she has a friend on the border, so mm-hmm. someone's literally picked them up, given them somewhere to stay, lends her a car. Deb is trying to make herself look like one of the stolen IDs, mm-hmm. um, which also is fine. This felt a bit too easy, but I suppose she had a. A history of going across the border she'll have known people mm-hmm. there was that that whole yeah you said you'd never be back kind of situation with the friend um you seem to own a motel so they instantly had somewhere to stay yeah convenient while they yeah it was very convenient yeah yeah um mm-hmm. but i suppose you don't know anything of the history of her she might have made that friend while she was mm-hmm previously sorry not dealing helping medically with americans mm, who can't afford yeah. medication They're supporting the opium addictions through oxy yeah <laughs> for cheap prices yeah um Anywho. yeah so then they both go to different doctors deb goes to the clinic and there's a bit of a nervous scene um where she's hoping her id will work um and i think what hopefully translated, which I, what I read through this is she's nervous and she's scared that she looks nervous to this receptionist who's typing mm-hmm. in her ID. This receptionist must have seen so many nervous girls coming for an abortion that she's not reading that nerve the same way. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? That she's just like, oh, hon, don't worry. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's not how I read that scene. No. Okay. I read so Deb gives her the ID. Mm-hmm. She types in the number, the number doesn't go through. She blames her glasses, hands her the card, gets her to read the card, she gives her the number. I then don't think the number went through again. Okay. I think the receptionist knows the health card is invalid. Oh and it is fraudulent. Okay. And I think she lets her continue because she can see the desperation. I mean, as much as I bashed poor Lily James through this film, this piece of acting was very convincing. Yeah. She sees the nerves and anguish and like just all these emotions of how desperate this girl is. Yeah. And she just puts it through anyway and takes pity on her. Yeah. Because yeah. whatever they did with those IDs, whether or not, like, she'd stolen the ideal ID before it was hooked up in the system to actually work in the American, the mm. Canadian healthcare mm. system, or whether or not they were just shitty IDs that didn't link to anything, but, you yeah. know, were just for identity purposes. Not, I don't think the ID worked. And I think that receptionist took pity on her and woman to woman wanted to support someone in a difficult situation 
and put it through anyway. I like your interpretation far more than mine. Let's go with that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's what I think happens. You never know, though, do you? And it's I like that they've no. left that open, that it could be just the kindness of women to other women, knowing that, yeah, this is the better option. Um, yeah. Than yeah. her getting a backstreet abortion or being forced to have a child that she cannot support. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah, and then we're... In my opinion, that was the best scene of the whole film. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Um, So then, yeah, Ollie's in the hospital just telling this random doctor what her prescription, what she needs. Here's a mystery bag of whatever it is that she doesn't need to know what's in it. Um, And she's then... You've got Deb just lying, well, we assume the having the procedure done lying in a clinic mm-hmm. while Ollie is sat um, by a river somewhere getting a call offering her the job. They have a, they then later have a conversation. Deb is trying to get into college and they have a nice cute sisterly mo- moment and they cross back and that's it. They got away with it. It kind of goes against all the rules fucking screenwriting that they had a goal and they achieved it and nothing was lost on the way that's what annoyed me about this but there is so much struggle in between maybe that's enough like the things they've had to do to get to this point have been a struggle i mean i was pissed off with the ending quite a lot because it's quite an anticlimactic flat independent film bullshit anti-ending right yeah so you know nothing particularly is fixed at the end other than Debs has managed to have her abortion right they've still not got the rest of the money from Bill to make that fucking house payment oh hey yeah yeah we don't know what's going to happen in the future even if they do get that bill yeah, so yeah. they've still not got the money for the house because yeah. they haven't seen Bill. He's not paid the rest of the money for that trip. Yeah. Friggin' Ollie hasn't accepted that job. She's just listened to a voicemail saying the job is being offered to her. Oh, I thought it was a phone call. Okay. No, it was a voicemail. Oh, man, I missed that bit. All right. So Ollie hasn't even accepted that friggin' job. Her probo- her probation isn't finished yet. Nope. So, like, just because you see them walk across the border doesn't mean they've not pick- get picked up the other side and she fucks up her probation. Yeah. Like, so many loose ends. Oh my god, you're right, there were. So many more <laughs> things that could have gone wrong wasn't, like, a happy ending at all. I suppose it wasn't. Maybe this film was more of a a platform to discuss struggle. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was because it but... didn't follow certain rules that you're supposed to. I suppose you don't have to follow rules anymore. But like, mm-hmm. that was what was frustrating. Is that a... something had to go wrong, and it, maybe that's the leading you up to so many things could still go wrong, but they got through this bit. Mm-hmm. Maybe, 
I was I was really frustrated at the end because I was like, it's not wrapped up. No. No. I mean, the conversation outside the hotel, the motel room, where it's like just talking about how they both deserve good stuff and so on. That's not, you know, wishful thinking does not a happy ending make. No, no. It's just like, and because they'd had all these close calls, it it didn't really fill me with optimism that, you know, their mission was complete and that no. everything was working out. No. No. So in general, <laughs> this film really pissed me off, Sharon. See, I kind of looked at it from a different point of view as well. Like I, one thing it does do is it ticks that box for the Bechdel test or the Bechdel, Bechdel test. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it does have feminist thing. It's a, it's a film by a woman director about two women's struggles and mm-hmm. like how they've had to just cope without the support of of men so i like that about it but they have needed the help of men she's needed a supportive probation officer they've needed a guy to get involved to help sell the drugs they've needed another guy to help so yeah oh no i'm talking about it but i did enjoy watching it like i just felt like i had this insight to a just yeah i felt fundamentally it was meant to be a story of redemption yeah i don't know about you but i felt it was meant to be a story of redemption so for stories of redemption in my opinion someone needs to hit bottom Mm. and my problem with this film is everyone hit bottom before the film fucking started yeah so you don't actually see the bottom you don't see how bad it gets you yeah. see them on the upswing. Yeah. You you don't see the pit of despair. You see Ollie getting her confidence and assertiveness back. You see Deb like growing up, but you never see the bottom. You never see how bad it is. So maybe it was more of a like a snapshot of just struggle. Like mm. what could be a normal struggle. That it's just, it's kind of a flat struggle. That there is always going to be a struggle, no matter what happens. But then it just feels like it kind of goes nowhere. Like because... life, Rachel. Like life. <laughs> too shit. Too shit. I, I give you that. Yeah, but it was just kind of like a, a realism. I don't know if you call it postmodern anymore. I don't know the right terminology, but just that, that kind of glimpse into. This could be anyone's life right now. This could be what's going on right now. Yeah. <laughs> no. I, I, it could be, but like, it, I mean, yes, that relentlessness of. Yeah. Is it modernity? Mm. Oh, I'm not sure I'm using that word in the right context, so apologies if not. Mm. <laughs> but that you know, the daily grind. But because of that, there's no story, no real story arc. It's no, there's no arc, quite no. monotone yeah. across the length of the film. Which made it 
more frustrating when I got hit with that flat ending. Mm. Because I was like, you know, least they could have done is left me with an uplifting ending. Yeah. Where I knew everything was going to be okay. Not just that, you know, just fade out. But maybe the point is that things aren't always going to be okay. Maybe that's what they were kind of like. They got past this struggle. There'll just be more of them. Which means be more pissed off with them. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like, even if it all fell to bits and, you know, they got caught at the border with all the drugs and she went back to jail, at least it was a fucking ending. Ah, yeah. Even if it was a bad ending, at least it was an ending. That, like, uncertain, like, the daily grind goes on. Like, they might have improved their situation a little bit, but it's still shit. Yeah. Like, it's just so... Meh. Yeah. It's not even anticlimactic or disappointing. It's just like, oh, you know, what was the point in watching that if I don't get, you know, a full stop on the message that the film was trying to convey? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I yeah. do think you have very valid points. However, this is just my opinion. Yeah. And you're entitled to yours. Thanks. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think you're wrong. No, but I I quite... different. I like that about it. What's pissing you Mm -hmm. off about it is what I quite like about it. (laughs) So, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. Just that, yeah. Yeah. So... I was frustrated with it. I was really frustrated. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, maybe, maybe I am just chained to the standard storytelling, story arc, narrative style of film. Mm. But I don't I just wanted something more from this. Yeah. I wanted... No, no, I wanted Deb to like really show the struggle that she was going through and her hardship and how conflicted she was with her decisions and I felt like she coasted through it and Ollie just fixed it. I wanted to see Ollie really being put in positions of peril, but I felt like she had her whole self like all her shit under control so I didn't really get any peril from it mm-hmm. like yeah it was a story of two very unfortunate girls you know in a shit system in a shit system where it was all going to be alright in the end yeah like for some reason I, it felt like a film with a safety net like I knew it was all going to work out See, most of those problems, yeah, most of those Mm. problems could have been fixed with money. That was the weird thing about this. Yeah. Like it was like a get the money and run kind of situation. If anything, if it had a bad ending where they were arrested and stuff, to me, that would have, that would have had more of an impact because (coughs) I had that 
um, illusion of safety throughout it, mm-hmm. that I was positive it was all going to work out and it was going to be okay and that they'd be fine. So, yeah. you know, I, I didn't feel that invested in the film because I felt like, you know, their safety net was there. Yeah. So if they got arrested at the end, I would have been like, oh, fuck, I totally misread this film. Yeah. Yeah. And I was angry at the end when nothing happened because just because it didn't feel. You're not supposed to do that. <laughs> it didn't feel mission completed. Well, they had a goal and they got to it, but nothing mm-hmm. was learned because they were just doing things they'd done before. Mm-hmm. Like. So I suppose it's more of a social commentary than it is a story arc. Yeah. Yeah. Which is what I liked about it. But then also, yeah. 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 So Sharon, overall, how would you rate this film? I enjoyed it. So I'm so... going to... Good. I thought it was good. Um, and I... Uh... As our rating system is bad, meh, or good, I'm going to meh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> meh. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's nice to have different opinions on, on, on things. It is. I, actually, I mean, at the beginning of the episode, I was like, we disagree! Because it is so rare that we disagree. Mm-hmm. Uh, we may disagree about elements in a film but generally we both like or dislike a film so it's actually nice to have one where it's like oh we've seen it differently yeah 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 very much we have talked about this for a very long time (laughs) so the second film we're talking about this episode is my pick and it is lucky sorry i'm already dying i got myself a drink Mm-hmm. And um have not actually taken a sip of the drink. <laughs> Do that now. <laughs> so the second one is Lucky Grandma. And it's on preview. In New York's t- Chinatown, a Chinese chin-smoking grandma spends her time at the casino, but ends up in deep trouble. So a very short blurb <laughs> for this mm-hmm. one. Um, so... <clears throat> It opens where the grandma is at a fortune teller and the fortune teller is telling her that fate has cheated you, but a big reward is coming on the 28th of October. Like, um, your fate is predicting good things, things are going to change, you are going to get your reward. And the chain-smoking grandma is kind of like, are you sure? (laughs) Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, We then cut to the grandma lonely in her apartment, this little, like, one-bedroom, quite run-down, dilapidated apartment. Um, And she's got her, like, altar that she prays to, where we assume is a picture of her dead husband. Um, she then goes for dinner with her son. Her son's grown up with his own family. Her son wants her to move in with him. She doesn't want to. She wants her independence. The son's like, I'm worried about you and your health. I mean, obviously, she is a chain smoker, so there's a lot to worry about. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, and he says, you know, dad wouldn't want you to be by yourself. And she's kind of like, your dad doesn't have a choice. Hmm. Like he left me in this situation. So he wouldn't, doesn't have a say in it anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, the 28th of October rolls round. Yay! And she goes, yay! <laughs> First thing she does is she goes to the bank to withdraw money. And she is serenaded <laughs> by <laughs> all the bank staff with this song, which is absolutely hilarious. She's stood there like, what the fuck is happening? And they're just mm-hmm. like, yay! You have won a prize! You are... Uh, 80th customer of the day you have won these these massive bags of fancy rice Mm -hmm. all these sacks of fancy rice we'll get them shipped to you yay (laughs) fancy rice um and she then withdraws all her money from her bank account which is like just under two thousand dollars And then she gets on the bus to go to the casino because there's no casinos in New York. So they have to go out to a legal casino, which is like hours on the bus. And I love this scene with the bus. Yeah. Like all these grumpy old people getting on this bus to go to the casino. And she's like, oh, like the one guy's here that farts all the time. I don't want to be next to him. And the person who's like looking after the bus is like trying to keep everyone in high spirits, but at the same time is kind of like herding toddlers. Like, there's a toilet on the bus. If you need to go, you don't need to ask me permission. Mm-hmm. Just go. Yeah. Um, don't gossip. Let's all be friends. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> um, don't spit. <laughs> yes. No spitting. And then she like mimes spitting. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> the lady who's in charge of the bus is so cute. She's adorable. <laughs> yeah. Really funny scene. Mm-hmm. Um, the grandma gets to the casino and wins over and over again with the number eight. Yeah. And she had, so she's playing on the craps table. Keeps betting on eight, keeps getting more and more money, has a huge pile of chips, just keeps playing, and then goes to like a big stakes uh, Texas Hold'em table, and she's winning loads, and all the people are giving her dirty looks, and then she loses it all. Uh, she is heartbroken that her luck has run out. I wondered if it had just turned midnight or something at that point. Maybe. Maybe, but I I think she overplayed her look. She got too cocky, um, too greedy, too greedy. Yeah, and her facial expressions in this yeah. so arrogant towards the end, like her look cannot fail her. Um, so when she loses it all, you can her whole world kind of crumbles again, and she goes back to the grumpy angry grandma um that was at the beginning of the film mm. um so she's on the bus back quite defeated and a guy sits next to her and he he struggles for a while putting his bag in the overhead locker 
sits next to her and then kind of instantly falls asleep and keeps kind of like on the bush journey he keeps slumping into her she keeps pushing him back slumping into her they get back to New York and she tries to wake him up and pulls her finger under his nose and realizes <laughs> that he's dead <laughs> and his bag falls from the, the the bush journey the bag falls from the overhead locker into her lap and she realised that it is full of money mm. and he's dead and she's taking that money because oh, gotcha. she deserves it. It is her rightful fate to have this money. <laughs> well, he has that tattoo on his neck like the fortune teller told her to look out for, the, the lucky dragon. Mm -hmm. So she sees that and she's like, well, this is clearly for me. This is what the fortune teller told me. <laughs> Yeah. Fate has not forsaken me. Yeah. And uh, she, as she takes the bag, she says to him, rest in peace. Like, <laughs> just rest in peace. And she's stealing the bag of money. Uh, and she yeah. goes home, empties out the bag. And at the bottom is the porno bag. <laughs> at the bottom of this bag is the porno bag. And for some reason, she puts it on a prayer altar. Like, she flicks through it, looks at the centerfold, and, like, goes, ah! And then puts <laughs> it on a prayer altar. Next to her, the picture of her dead husband. <laughs> and then the next scene is really sweet. She... She goes to the market and she has a spending spree. <laughs> yeah, so it, it was like a really nice little juxtaposition between her before she had a bag full of cash. Like in the beginning, she would go and quibble about all the prices of stuff. And you can just see her like, yay, I can go to the market now. And yeah, I'm getting all the big, the nice shrimp. Mm -hmm. And now I can treat myself to a nice chandelier light. <laughs> mm -hmm. like, but in my head, I'm still like, it's a market. Things are not that expensive. <laughs> it's not like she's gone like downtown Manhattan to all the fancy stores. No. She just wants some fancy shrimp yeah. and maybe a nice light for yeah. her crappy apartment. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. It's so cute. Just mm. like, I can treat myself to. The fancy stuff in the the low end shops. Yeah, <laughs> I did enjoy that scene where the camera just keeps like closing up on this like chandelier thing, and yeah, yeah, it was very sweet, very sweet. It was really cute. Um, but then she gets home, and there's two ruffians in her apartment <laughs> waiting for her. Um. <laughs> Two ruffians. Ruffians, good word. Yeah, well, gang members. And they're asking about Mr. Lynn, who's the man sat next to her. And uh, had she seen the bag? Had she seen anything? Uh, like, you were the last person to see him alive. Mm-hmm. What happened to him? And she's just denying all knowledge. Oh, yeah. She was asleep. Everyone was asleep. Yeah, everyone was asleep. I don't know what happened. He was asleep. He wasn't dead. He was just asleep. Um, There's a really funny scene with um, a guy that is known as Little Handsome 
<laughs> but she's like, I know your auntie, Mr. Chen. And he's, he's kind of like, so what? And the other guy is like, he's the crazy one. Little Hansen's the crazy one. And he cuts his tongue oh, with a knife. That's so disgusting. Spits blood on her floor. And you can see how angry she is that there is blood on the floor. Because he doesn't but, feel pain. Yes, doesn't feel pain. But mm. also it's very disrespectful because she is his elder. Yeah. And I think this is something that she does play upon in the film is that she is the elder and should be respected and people shouldn't question what she is saying or kind of her authority because she is grandma. Mm. Um, and she is referred to throughout the whole film as grandma. We are not given a name for her at all. <laughs> I think Grandma Wong at the very beginning. Oh, Grandma Wong, yes. It's, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um. <laughs> so, um. So these ruffians are from the Red Dragon, the gang called the Red Dragon, and uh, they said that it was the Red Dragon's money, and she needs to take it, give it back to them, and they will return for the money. Um. Grandma then goes to the shop. So the guy outside the shop trying to sell bags with like this leaflet showing what knockoff designer bags he has. And she's like, I want an LV bag. And he's like, I do not have an LV bag. And she's like, yes, you do. And he's like, I do not. She's like, looking the back. And he's like, no. And she's like, I need an LV bag. And eventually she's taken to the back of the shop where there is a boss of another group of thugs. And she's just like, I need protection. I need a bodyguard from the Red Dragon. <laughs> and he's like, we don't do personal protection. We just do business protection. She's like, no, I need this. <laughs> yeah. And argues with him. And he he's then like, fine, $8,000. And she's like, no, five. And he's like, no, eight. They go back and forth for a while. Like, she's haggling in the market. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Finally, he accepts $5,000. Then she's like, for that man, and points to the guy that she wants. And he's like, no, he's my best man. And she's like, well, it was $5,000 for your best man. <laughs> and then manages to get it even cheaper for an inferior bodyguard. <laughs> <laughs> because she was only going to do the discounted price for the best man. <laughs> and so... She gets an even cheaper price for the bodyguard. I think it's like 3000 in the end. Mm -hmm. For mm -hmm. someone called Big Pong. <sighs> Big Pong, the bodyguard. Love this guy. He is the best. He is like this ginormous seven-foot giant who is just so friendly and has such a heart of gold as mm -hmm. we go through it. Mm -hmm. Big Pong is the best. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, so lovely. Um, and so she takes Big Pong home with her and her grandson arrives and they have a meal and the grandson is kind of like is he not eating? Yeah. <laughs> she, she's kind of like not wanting to give Pong any food. <laughs> because, like she's paid enough for him so doesn't want to like, give him more food. But is peer pre 
pressured by the son into inviting him to share a meal with him. Mm -hmm. And then this giant, like, ruffian reveals that he's a vegetarian (laughs) and kind of, like, picks around all the meats and eats with them. And you realise that he isn't this big, scary bodyguard after all. He's... Well, she... Yeah, friendly giant, isn't he? Like, and she asks him, "What year were you born?" And I think, what does he say? Nineteen eighty-nine. She's like, "Well, that's the year of the rabbit. That's weak." <laughs> so she's mm-hmm. insulting this guy. She's hired to look after her. It's adorable. Mm-hmm. It is really adorable. The bulls and on the woman. <laughs> admittedly, the grandma isn't the most likable character. No, <laughs> she's rude to everyone. She lies. She cheats. She's really bullheaded mm-hmm. um and doesn't really get out help herself get out the situation she just digs a hole big time. yeah like this is just the beginning of the calamity really um i also really enjoyed this that um the grandson's friend in the building knocks on the door, know me, and they have a, a YouTube channel <laughs> where they, the grandson Sam and Nomi uh, just dance. Slavic Wong. They're called Slavic yeah, Wong. Sl- Slavic Wong, because she is of Slavic origin and he is a Wong. YouTube channel Slavic Wong. Um, and it is so funny watching them do their YouTube dancing. <laughs> They're just like totally busting moves. It's adorable. I didn't check if it was a real YouTube channel. <laughs> no, part of me is like, does it really exist? Should I Google it now? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, their dancing is hilarious. Actually, I wonder what's going to come up when you look up Slavic Wong. Um, no, it's just all all the clips from Lucky Grandma when you okay. Google it. It just okay. comes up with their one dance routine. Okay. Um, so, yeah. Hashtag Slavic Wong. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I love this. Um, so much. So cute. Um So the next day, Grandma continues with her normal routine. She goes to the swimming pool. You never see her in the water, but she does her Tai Chi next to the swimming pool. Pong is like, like, waits for her, like, is sat next to her while she's doing her Tai Chi Mm -hmm. and then waits outside the changing room for her, like, yelling in to check that she's okay. So cute. That's adorable. Then, Then they go to the hair salon. And she's in the hair salon and he he's so cute. He like offers to go get her some tea and ask her what tea she wants and then leaves the store to get tea. And when he's out getting the tea, the red dragon arrive mm. and try to burn grandma with her like big old school over the top hairdryer thing. Um and attack her in the hairdressers and grandma's like scared but then pong returns to save the day mm-hmm. and he bites them with curling iron <laughs> <laughs> and 
comedic slapstick fight routine. Mm-hmm. Um, and you realise that Big Pong is not the big softy. He can he can handle himself in a fight. He can look after Grandma. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's got some moves. Yeah. Uh, so well done, Pop. Big mm-hmm. Pong. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah. Um. Then I mean I've got a note that makes no sense, so I'm just going to skip over that. Well, they go back um, to the apartment. Mm-hmm. And they have and a little chat. Is- yeah. Pong's suspicious. Yeah. Like, he wants to know why she needs the protection. And why and the she's red not giving him following anything. her. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Like, he knows she's done something, but she isn't giving anything away. Um, <laughs> but she does cook him a good meal then. She does, yeah. She like purposely cooks for him because he's done her a good job. Yeah. And she wants to reward him in something. Yeah. She's not all bad. <laughs> no. Um, she then returns to the fortune teller and it's all the same. It's all, you know, the luck is there, the luck will come back around. And then we discover the fortune teller is actually Dr. Chen, mm-hmm. who at the beginning the son says, you know. Dr. Chen's not a real doctor. When the grandma's like, oh, she, Dr. Chen prescribed this. And he's like, Dr. Chen's not a real doctor. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm worried about your health. And the fortune teller is Dr. Chen. <laughs> <laughs> Prescribing herbal remedies. Um, and in the scene with the son at the beginning, um, when... The son is like, Dr. Chen's not a real doctor. She's like, well, she pre- prescribed this herbal remedy and it cured someone's diabetes. <laughs> He's like, she doesn't pee as much works. anymore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's not how that works. So I laugh quite a bit when it's revealed that the fortune teller is Dr. Chen because I'm mm-hmm. just like, what? This is who you're taking your advice from and all your medication from. And all this stuff. This is not right. And today she only needs chrysanthemum leaves and a goldfish. (laughs) (laughs) Which is sweet. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, The grandma then goes to see her friend Benny and kind of tried to find out what, who Mr. Lynn was. And what she's got herself into. And mm. um, Benny is this nice guy. He's like, are you still looking after yourself? Still doing your Tai Chi? And she's like, yeah. And he's like, I'm still running. And like, you feel like they are actual friends. Yeah. And um, and then it's revealed that Mr. Lin worked for the Snakehead. And he was the accountant. And it was rumoured that he played both sides. Mm-hmm. Both the Red Dragon and um, the other Sean gang. Kim. Thank you. Yeah. Yes. I didn't write it down for some reason. Um, so the grandma's kind of like, oh, shit. I've got myself in the middle of something bad. And I've, I will give all credit to Tai Sai Chin, who plays the grandma. Sorry if I pronounced that wrong. She is stoic oh. throughout. Yeah. She 
has resting bitch face <laughs> throughout the whole film. And yet, she, <laughs> she somehow, at that beginning bit where she loses all her money, even though she's got constant resting bitch face, she goes from smug bitch to, oh crap, I lost everything bitch. In like yeah. three facial expression changes. And it's like, the subtlety of that woman's face acting is insane. She is magnificent in this. Like, the way she plays off a lot of these comedic situations, so deadpan. Mm. Um, and you can see her, like, selfishness and greed on her face and how she's constantly calculating every situation to try and benefit herself. Yeah. Um, and it's just so well played. And I mean, I was watching this thinking how all these women act actresses and actors get over like the age of 30 or 40, and it's just like there's no roles for me anymore. You know, there there are no films about women of you know this certain age where they are the main character. Mm. And this is a magnificent example of writing a character for a, a woman of that age who, although is referred to as grandma throughout, is a very dynamic character. Mm. Even when playing up to these stereotypes of, you know, dour, miserable, self-centred. Mm. <laughs> like, it's so good. <laughs> like, she she absolutely makes this film. Yeah. Um, and it made me so happy to watch. Um, and it's so quiet as well. She doesn't say a lot either. No, her facial expressions tell most the story. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just... It's just brilliant. Um, I must admit, when I when I picked this, I didn't because I knew it was set in America, although in Chinatown. For some reason, I thought there was going to be a lot less subtitles than there is, but it is a Chinese film. Mm -hmm. Really, there's hardly anything spoken outside of Chinese in it. It is all subtitled. Mm -hmm. Um. You don't lose anything in that. Oh, God, no. It's, it still is a Chinese-American story. Yeah. It'd be ridiculous um, if it was in English. Yes, it, it really would. I mean, even when the grandchildren speak in English or, like, the son's wife speaks in English, it's taken back to Chinese pretty much immediately because the grandma has no interest in speaking <laughs> <laughs> she wants people to speak Chinese with her. She is not changing who she is for anyone else. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I really, I really enjoy that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, she finds out that she's stolen money, possibly from both sets of gangs. Um, and then we go back to the apartment and she's watching the Chinese soap operas with Tom. <laughs> so cute. <laughs> it's so cute. They're both really invested in the story and Paul is really enjoying it, asking questions. And then 
Like, <laughs> Grandma asked him if he's ever been with the woman. And he's like, yes, back home in China. And she's like, why are you waiting? Like, you should. <laughs> I mean, first of all, she asked him if he's lying. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, why are you waiting? Like, you're a man. You should, you know, find someone to be with. And it's absolutely so cute because grandma gets up and he's like what about the next episode like, i need my bath we'll watch it after my bath and he was like i want the next episode now <laughs> don't watch it without me it's, it's adorable it yeah. is really cute yeah. um the grandma goes to have a bath with her chrysanthemum leaves or whatever herbal remedy she's been given mm. um and Tom gets a phone call and he has to go outside the building to take the phone call because his reception is really bad. And he gets jumped by the red dragon and beaten up. And they then run up to grandma's apartment and start searching. Uh, grandma hears this from the bathroom. <laughs> and hits one over the head with a walk. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Trusty heirloom walk oh yeah and um is then attacked by the other one and she manages to spray some kind of facial skincare thing in his face pong then reappears and punches one of them out not little handsome the other one that i'm not sure might be pockmark yes um uh punches him out and to begin with, you think he's just unconscious. Um, and Little Handsome then flees out of a window. And then you realise that Pong has actually killed Pockmark with one punch. Yeah. I wondered if he hit the side of the coffee table. There is a coffee table next to him. Um, but yeah. It, either way, he's dead. So, yeah. Yeah, either way, he's dead. Pong and Grandma are both in shock. They dispose of the body by wrapping it up in like bin bags and disposing in a dumpster. Uh, Big Pong's like, we should tell Sister Fong. Um, but you, they're just both so much in shock that they don't speak. Yeah. And at that point, they go to the sons for dinner and they're like zombies. Like the world is happening around them as they are staring into space. Yeah. Trying like, to pretend like nothing's happened is not, yeah, possible for them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Next next morning, Grandma's like laying in bed, <laughs> not wanting to get out of bed. And she hears like the bin men come to empty the dumpster. And she just kind of like hides under the blanket. <laughs> she doesn't want to deal with it. Um, but she does go out and a bit later and exam examine the dumpster and the body is gone. Yeah. Um yeah. so yeah, she then go tries to continue with her normal day, goes back to do a Tai Chi at the side of the pool, not getting in the pool again. Mm -hmm. Um goes into the changing room and goes into the steam room. <laughs> I love this scene so much. Mm -hmm. Goes into the steam room and Sister Fong is there um smoking in a steam room with incredibly good makeup on 
Yeah, incredibly good makeup, no sweat anywhere. Smoking in the steam room, I'm like, your cigarette will just get soaking wet. Like, mm -hmm. it's just impractical. It's not going to work. Mm -hmm. She then has, like, a manservant that brings them cups of tea in this female-only steam room. <laughs> yep. <laughs> This makes no sense, but also, like, it's just so funny. Yeah. It's um, bizarre. Yeah, like, Sister Fung is asking her, like, about Mr. Lin and the money. Grandma's denying it all still. And then the grandma passes out in the steam room. Um, and then comes round. Oh, yeah. Big Pong is replaced with an alternative. When she comes around, a big pong has been replaced. Yeah, by the chauffeur, isn't it? Yeah, the chauffeur of Sister Fong. Um, Grandma is not happy about this. Feels like something bad is going to happen. Runs away from him into the changing room. <laughs> he goes in looking for her. And there's a woman in to tell, like, what the fuck? Why is there a man in the female changing room? He leaves and then Grandma, like, comes out of this locker that she squeezed us <laughs> off into <laughs> She then manages to run off to evade the chauffeur and Little Handsome notices her and starts chasing after her. She runs through, like, uh, restaurant kitchens through a restaurant. I really enjoyed that she stops to drink a cup of tea that she steals <laughs> off of a table in the restaurant. <laughs> it's just a really nice detail. She then finally, um, after running through alleys and through restaurants and stuff, bumps into the chauffeur. And he was like, Where were you? And she was like, Looking for you. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, so she's so sneaky. Like, yeah. Mm. And then, and then they go and they go into a china shop, like an actual, like, you know, cutlery, tableware china shop. Mm -hmm. And there's this big uh, gunfight, and Grandma hides at the back. Pretty much everyone is shot. It was, oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> like, chauffeurs shot, the three Red Dragon people shot, and Grandma has been shot. But she can still walk. Mm -hmm. So she walks away from this firefight, gets back home. She's, like, coughing, wheezing, and there's a note hanging in her apartment saying that they have David... Which I sorry, I think I called the grandson Sam earlier, but his name was David. Apologies. Yeah. Yeah. Um we have David bring the money. And then it is revealed that she has hidden all the money in the bags of fancy rice. So they'd wrecked her apartment. They'd ripped everything apart when she mm -hmm. gets there. Nobody looks in the bags of rice. No one looked in the bags of rice oh. at all. Such a good <laughs> So Pong arrives at this point as she's getting the money out of the bags of rice and he's like, you had the money all along. You made me hurt people. And he's really upset Yeah, that she could have just turned the money over. And 
no one would have got hers. Yeah. And he's like heartbroken. And then Pong takes the money to Sister Fong. Um, and Grandma just kind of sits there. Yeah. <laughs> looking forlorn. Because she, she doesn't know what to do. Because she needs her grandson back. Yeah. He is more important. Finally, something is more important than the money. And that is her grandson. Yeah, she has quite a like deep and meaningful speech at this point about how she'd worked for 40 years and mm. every day and her and her husband just worked and worked and worked. And when he died, she'd expect he'd left her something, but he left her nothing. So you kind of understand her like motivation for wanting to keep all that money. But then she doesn't do anything with it except hire a bodyguard and buy a fancy lamp, like maybe some nice shrimp. I, I mean, she's between a rock and a hard place, isn't she? Because... As soon as she gets the money, people are after the money from yeah. her. Yes. So it's not like she can go out and spend it because then it acknowledges, shows that she does have the money. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it is sad that, you know, she worked her whole life for her retirement and then it got to her retirement and she was left with nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I mean, it is heartbreaking. But at the same time, it's not her money. No, yeah. no. But I think it gives you a glance into why she's such an angry, angry mm-hmm. woman. She's tired. <laughs> she is so tired. And just sick of, you know, having to deal with shit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I know I'm blasting through, you know, what happens in this film, but it's really fun. And I think sometimes it's hard to convey fun when talking about the plot of a film. Because <laughs> there's so many comedic moments in this and so many like parts that made me laugh or mm-hmm. smile mm-hmm. and really engage in it. And it's quite, there's a lot of action that, you know, when you talk through plot points, you can't really be like, explain like the slapstick comedic nature that they play out yeah um so i feel like i'm rattling through this but there's so many golden moments in this the acting the facial expressions where people interact with each other the spaces that they're in like the use of props and fights really well orchestrated Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. So much fun. Um, just it—it it was a joy to watch. Yeah, little gem of a film. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. Um, so Grandma goes to the exchange with the Red Dragon. Um, she hands over the bag for the exchange, and it's the cut up porno magazine. <laughs> what were you thinking, Granny? <laughs> they're like what is this and she's like i've got no money i will work for you i will do your do your dishes i will cook i will do all your laundry i will work for you for the rest of my life i will be loyal yeah Mm -hmm. and they're kind of like you're old how long like we're not gonna get much return from this (laughs) which is 
brutal. But for the <laughs> first time in this film, when she says she doesn't have Sister Fong's money, she literally doesn't have it at that point. It's the only time when she's telling the truth. <laughs> so Yeah, because Sister Fong has it. <laughs> um, and then Sister Fong turns up and there's another shootout. Mm. Um, and Grandma's already shot. She's trying to get to David and then she's shot again and then Pong turns up and just basically picks them both up and rescues them out of the situation. Big Pong is so absolutely lovely in this. Yeah. Um, He's just the heart of the film, I feel. Yeah, he really is. Like you, you have grandma's stubborn self-centeredness and then Pong's the heart. Um, and yeah, it's just it's so lovely. And then you know, they're safe, Pong has saved them, and then it cuts to David's birthday party. And David opens the door to Grandma and Pong, and understandably he's a bit standoffish because he yeah. has been in this horrible situation because of grandma and Pong. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like a bit scared and doesn't trust them anymore. Um and they have the cake, they sing happy birthday, and then grandma goes to wander around the house and she goes into the room that's obviously meant to be her room if she moves in with her son. And she sits and talks to the son. And she's like, why have you put an altar in a bedroom? Why is the <laughs> altar in the bedroom? You cannot be naked in front of the Buddha. <laughs> <laughs> And they they talk for a little bit and you can see that, you know, her perception of moving in with her son is changing Mm. and that she is considering moving in with him. And that's kind of the end, really. Yeah, she she smokes a cigarette, she eats a satsuma, end of film. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yep. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, me too. Me too. Oh, I accidentally picked, I clicked on Big Pong's Wikipedia entry and it is all in Chinese. Oh. So I can tell you absolutely nothing about him <laughs> other than he looks like he might be a basketball player because his picture is a, in like a basketball jersey. So maybe he is a basketball player in China. Oh, I click Google Translate. He's a former Taiwanese male basketball player, now a entertainer, sports commentator, and general manager of T1 League Taiwan Beer Bears, which I'm presuming is a basketball team. But he is so good in this. He is. Um, I'm I'm not going to mangle his name because I will mangle it, I'm afraid. Um, Because there are a three different spellings of it. Ha ha hisunyan. I'm really sorry. That's a mess. That I know that is wrong, <laughs> but I tried because he was so good. Yeah. He was so brilliant, and yeah. he is just the heart of the film. Mm-hmm. And the way him and the grandmother play off against each other is magnificent. Yeah, yeah. It's I a really. It adorable relationship between the two of them mm-hmm. yeah yeah yes um 
such a good film. I really enjoyed it. And it... So many moments of light and laughter. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was kind of like... I don't know. It felt a bit John Wicky in parts <laughs> the- in the action sequence. <laughs> everybody's dead. Like, what the heck, Grandma? <laughs> Just tell them you've got the money. No, it's too far now. you got to keep it. No. Oh, my gosh. You've committed to the lies. Yeah. Um, it's it's so much fun. I think it's like an hour and a half, if that. And mm-hmm. it's just, it's really well directed, really well paced, written, acted. Um, I'm so glad it came up on my recommended films on Freebie, to be honest. Um, and... Rotten Tomatoes has it a 95% approval rating. Wow. Which is like practically unheard of. Um, and one of the reviews is Lucky Grandma gives Sai Zing Jin a long overdue opportunity to shine in the leading role. But it's audiences, but it is the audiences who are the truly fortunate ones. Oh, it's so um, true. <laughs> I have to agree. <laughs> yeah. Highly recommend. Best, one of the best films I've watched in ages, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely the best indie film I've watched in ages. Mm. Yeah. Just super Fully fun. Agree. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's a good from me. A very good from me. Yeah. 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 A little gem. Like, highly recommend it. Mm-hmm. Right now, we've got to like the odds and sods section. Yeah. Of the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> odds and sods. Do you have any odds and sods? The only thing I have been listening to um, outside of these films is uh, I started listening to something today called Things Are About to Get Weird um, on Spotify. Um, yeah, it's it's just short, like little thirty minute um stories about strange things or weird things. Mm. So the first two, one is about um a story about two twins who suffered from folie a deux, which is like a shared psychosis between two people. Um but the weirdness isn't the disorder it's how it was handled by um police and what ensued another one was about how somebody uh, the person who survived falling 33,000 feet out of an airplane and uh, just sto- unbelievable stories basically that mm-hmm. are true um and yeah no I've, I've enjoyed it so far I'm gonna keep listening it's just very light listening some of them are light listening. Some of them are a bit more heavy. Like the Folio Doe story was quite, mm-hmm. but um, mm. yeah, yeah, it was nice. And it's by, um, uh, I think you say Kaya Samuel. Um, it's just her telling stories because she's enjoyed this kind of thing ever since she was little. So yeah, I enjoyed it. I would recommend if you want something just as a distraction and you want to hear something strange. Sounds yeah. interesting. I'll give it a bash. Yeah. Although, I, I mean, I must admit, after we talked the other day, I did try to listen to my therapist ghosted me. Mm. I just couldn't get into it at all. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, I don't know, just, 
it didn't captivate me quick enough and I wasn't in the mood to give it a chance. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. I was like, if you haven't sent me in in the first 20 minutes, I just have no interest. And also, um, I, I think you have a preoccupation to enjoy Irish podcasts. That would be true. There is that little bit of like, I just want to hear someone that sounds like my family. I miss them so much. Yeah, that, that would be part of it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so you were definitely a, um, a spokesperson for quality Irish podcasts. Thank you. <laughs> Unfortunately, yeah. yes, you should be. Um, just like I am. A spokesperson for terrorist podcast. <laughs> I think you've definitely won this one. Okay. Um, anyway, <laughs> I am the doom and gloom, and you are the, you know, crack. Yeah, you're the crack. <laughs> um, oh, I hit myself. Anyway. <laughs> uh, so podcast-wise, I've I've been listening to two. I suppose I'll start with the doom and gloom one. Um, so today I started something called Death of an Artist. Oh. And it is about... Well, I'll read the blurb because I've literally just started it. So I don't really know how to form what it's about yet. Um, so was the famous sculptor Carl Andre involved in the death of his up-and-coming artist wife, Anna Mantina? For over 35 years, accusations of murder shrouded one of art's most storied couples. Um, And I've listened to about three episodes now, and it's it's quite fascinating because there's a lot of politics in the art world, so there's a lot of money... There's a lot of powerful people. There's mm. the galleries, there's the art dealers, there's the buyers, and how um, artists' personal lives are often removed from the artwork for financial gain. And how when Carl, the husband Carl, was, Carl Andre, who is a very famous minimalist, artists and kind of a pioneer of the minimalist movement Mm. was suspected of the murder of his wife Anna um how it was kind of covered up in the art community even though the evidence strongly pointed to him having pushed her out of a 34th story balcony window to her death um and it talks about people's motives for not coming forward and speaking um the financial support he got from very well-known you know art collectors and other male artists Mm -hmm. and how through his career and his exhibitions none of this is mentioned Mm. um so it is a very interesting look at the art world and also a very interesting story about Anna and her work, how she was a Cuban immigrant and how her art reflected the a Cuban story as well as an immigrant story and how she was a very 
outspoken, strong, independent woman mm-hmm. and how in many ways her relationship with Carl mirrored kind of uh, Diego, I forgot his surname, I knew a blank on this, Frida Kahlo and Di- her husband Diego's relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, how Frida was in the shadow of her husband and and there's it, a lot of interesting politics going in, not going on, not just about the art world, but also about, you know, sexism in relationships, power dynamics in relationships, mm-hmm. um, success in relationships, how the, ma- the male is meant to be seen as a successful one and the woman is the supporter. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm quite interested to see where it goes. Um, her husband was exonerated, acquitted of the murder. However, a lot there is a lot of evidence to imply that, you know, this is maybe worth a second look. Yeah. So it's I'm I'm looking forward to listening to the rest of the episodes and finding out more about Anna. Like Anna Martina, she she sounds like a really interesting artist with a really good grasp of feminist art and having a female voice in art and I didn't know anything about her before starting this podcast so Mm -hmm. I really want to know more about her art practice and Mm -hmm. her voice and I think it is very important that we learn about women artists Mm -hmm. and give them the voice um, because the art world is greatly bias towards white male art unfortunately so I'm really enjoying that I'm looking forward to listening to the rest of it I mean obviously another heavy topic from me (laughs) I like depressing myself no I'm just inquisitive and Mm -hmm. I'm drawn to dark stories on the flip side of that the other podcast I've been listening to is guys we fucked (laughs) 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 which I mentioned to Sharon the other day that I was listening to described as an anti-slut-shaming podcast by the show's host Guys We Fuck deals with issues around sexual sex positivity and politics and features frank and open conversations with comedians, actors, musicians sex workers, sexual health professionals and activists and it is so funny so funny and so the two presenters, Christina and Corin, started the, this podcast kind of as, as um, one of them was going through a breakup and was going through a slutty phase to deal with the heartache. <laughs> and she would ask people that she'd had sex with to come on and do kind of a sexual post-mortem. Oh, my God. Um, so, <laughs> so brave. So we. And the first episode I listened to was uh, Karen and Christina talking about blowjob etiquette and whether or not you should swallow or not swallow. (laughs) (laughs) It's just, it's so graphic. So definitely not for the prudish. um, But it's so much fun. Mm-hmm. And it, it's just like a glorious celebration of women embracing their sexuality and just being honest about the things that they enjoy 
and the things that make them happy and also the things that they don't like mm. and I particularly like they have a section of the podcast where readers, listeners can write in with their dilemma and they have teenagers writing in saying like you know they're they're worried about the first time they have sex and making it special and them explaining you know that they're, they're quite brutal. They're kind of like, all teenage sex is bad. Just exactly it's going to be bad. <laughs> it's better as you get older. So just don't put any pressure on yourself for it to be good when you're a teenager. Like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, you you learn through experience. Give it a go. Stay safe. Don't mm-hmm. get pregnant. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. it is... There's a lot of joy in it. Yeah. Uh, and even the com- the episodes where they get <laughs> they get someone um, that I can't remember if it's Christina or Corin that's has the ones that she slept with um, <laughs> on the episode. But when a guy comes in, they have slept with either Christina or Corin. Sorry, I can't remember which. Um, like the conversations. They may start a little bit awkward, but then they get really fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's like, oh, did you try to have sex with me in the morning? I was really hungover and I wasn't in my apartment. We were in someone else's apartment. So I was kind of like, just whatever. And he's like, oh, I didn't really want to push the point. And she's like, oh, if you just wanted to jack off and come on my butt, that would have been fine. <laughs> <laughs> and then we could have gone and got brunch or something. <laughs> like... <laughs> I'm gonna have to listen to this. Yeah. So sorry, it was it's Corin that is going sleeping with and the thing is because they're both comedians, they're both working comedians in New York. The people that Corin sleep with tend to be comedians too. So they make this mm-hmm. very funny mm-hmm. and very accessible. Mm-hmm. Like nothing is off limits at all. Um and yeah, it's just so fun and yeah so just from the wikipedia page in 2013 fisher had what she so karen fisher had what she described as a nervous breakdown after an unexpected breakup with a man that she had hoped to marry fisher sought hutchinson for solace and got the idea to have a show where she could interview her ex-boyfriends and lovers to find out where things went wrong similar to John Cusack's character in the 2000 film High Fidelity. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, just it's so much fun. It's been going since 2013, so like 10 years. Um, The first episode on uh, Spotify is from 2016, so obviously I've missed three years of podcasts. Mm. But I am enjoying it so much and it's just silly silly sex positive humour and I love it mm-hmm. so excellent um, I mean TV wise I've been watching a pile of crap like genuine crap that I'm not even sure if it was is worth mentioning mm-hmm. um, after guys we fucked um, I've been watching Highland Cops on BBC Highland <laughs> about policemen working in the highlands of scotland and i think that's just you know some hometown nostalgia there Mm -hmm. watching these policemen um search for people that have gone missing in the highlands of scotland but also 
you know, try and police otter sets on the banks of the river when people have blocked them off to try and get the otters to move on, but they're a protected species, so it needs a police investigation. Um, gangs of boy races in car parks and <laughs> asbos and a lot of drugs raids. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, Mm -hmm. that's the north of Scotland yay, yay. Um, yeah beautiful scenery um, lots of drugs beautiful animals but then poaching and things like that so um, very so I am just watching it to remind me of yeah. home in a weird depressing way um, mm. also I'm I don't even know why I'm watching this, to be honest. Why am I watching this? I've been watching Botched on Freebie, oh. which which is, it was a show where people that have had bad plastic surgery go on TV to get it fixed by these good plastic surgery surgeons. And it... Like, oh. pretty much every episode, there is a bad boob job and a bad nose job. That needs to be fixed. Yeah. Um, and like, I don't know why I'm watching this. Everyone's really positive and nice and you know respectful, and there's a few comedy moments in it. But what I've I've mostly discovered from watching this is that a lot of fake doctors and fake plastic surgeons have taken horrible advantage of trans people oh. by giving them cheap discounted really bad operations that have furthered their body dysphoria dysmorphia um and it makes me really angry yeah <laughs> that you know people that are in very very vulnerable situations are then being taken advantage of the financial game those surgeons are yeah. going to hell yeah definitely so there is a lot of frustration but there's, there's also you know, people that are like, I'm trying to make my body look like Superman and I'm designing my own custom, like, implants to give myself fake biceps and fake pecs and fake abs oh, wow. and stuff. The, there are people that are fully embracing plastic surgery mm -hmm. to make them someone else. Mm -hmm. And... um. I mean, one of the guys on it was like, you know, you were just glorified artists. I have the idea and I am paying an artist to do it. Oh, that's a nice way of thinking of it. You are my tailors to yeah. make my suit. Um, so, yeah, there's some real horror stories and really sad stories, but also a lot of positivity. Mm -hmm. And it's very uplifting at the end when these very vulnerable people that have been put in awful positions because people have taken advantage of them at an end of an episode feel whole again yeah. and that they can now feel comfortable in their body. So, as I say, it, it is trash reality TV. I do feel bad that I'm watching it because it is quite exploitative of people in vulnerable situations however it is very uplifting at the end when yeah. people have the corrective surgery mm -hmm. and have that support they need um 
But yeah, well, I, I don't even know why I'm watching it, to be honest. It is... <laughs> I think it like auto-played after something and I was like, oh! Mm-hmm. And then I just had it as background noise and here we are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> here we are. <laughs> sorry, not sorry. Yeah. yeah. It, it is a very much, it's very much a guilty pleasure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah, I think that that's all from me. Um, anything else? No, I think just next week. Yes. So we've got next three week. Films for next, next time. Week. Yeah. Let's not get too optimistic. <laughs> it's taken us like three hours to record this episode. <laughs> Crumbs. Okay. I know. That, like, crossing the line or Little Woods, we really went in deep on that one. Yeah. I'm going to make briefer notes next time. (laughs) Um, So next time, uh, we've decided on three films. We've got Sorry to Bother You on BBC iPlayer. We've got The Hunt on uh, Channel 4's Player. And we've got Clerks on ITV Player. These are the three. Um... Sharon's seen Sorry to Bother You already. I've seen The Hunt. And we've both seen clips and we kind of want to see how badly it's hitched. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we just want to watch something burn. So mm-hmm. Yeah, pretty much. I am a bit worried about rewatching it actually, but you know, it'll be informative if nothing else. Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. also if anyone is listening and not on Instagram. We are on Instagram. Please follow us at Free to Watch. Um, it would be nice to have some more followers. I'm going to share the username and password with Sharon sometime this week, so we will start posting more regularly. So it would be nice to have some interaction with you all on there. And if anyone listens on iTunes, can you please leave us a review? Good, bad, ugly. Leave us a review because it would be nice to start getting some feedback there too. Yeah. So we would really appreciate that. Yeah. Thank you. In advance. Yes. <laughs> hopefully. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> uh, we'll see what comes. Um yeah. But yeah, it, we could do with some feedback and interaction and like our friends who have been telling us that they've listened, we've really appreciated their feedback. And one of them was to start saying at the end of the episode what we would be talking about next episode. And we fully acknowledge we should have been doing that from the beginning. Yes. <laughs> but it was just something obvious that slipped our mind. So mm-hmm. any suggestion would be welcome. Yeah. Right. It's know. like 10 o'clock at night on a work night and I need to go and like collapse for mm-hmm. a little while before bed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Me too. Me too. So thank you all for listening and making it to the end. Yeah, well done. <laughs> <laughs> well done. It's a long one. I don't know. I'm going to edit this one down. Um, so yes, it's bye from me and Sharon. And hopefully we'll, you'll listen to us soon. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> thank you. Bye.